It's Thursday, Thursday, Thursday! Prepare to have your minds annihilated as Patreon proudly presents the Creators Collective Podcast, featuring the Breaker of Boards, James Wright, the Melder of the Metal, Zach Herber Holt. And the leveler of lumber, William Walker. The first five live listeners will get the free special bonus of having their questions answered on air. Now on with the mayhem. And we're back for another exciting episode of the Creators Collective. And this is going to be an exceptionally fun week because we have a special guest named Will. <laughs> who has uh, finally decided to join us. So <laughs> thanks for coming along, Will. But yeah. on top of that, we actually have an actual, actual guest um not just will being on here but uh, we have, we two have... guests this week right did, it, yeah, did yeah. you just say that i don't yeah, know I just I was... said that. oh someone had his headphones off <laughs> I, I had to go get my uh my new laptop my new old laptop that cost me 750 dollars because somebody at the airport spilled water on it uh, so yeah well we have a uh, special guest here uh tommy hummington and uh, if you haven't um, seen his stuff where have you been but uh why don't you say hi tommy hi yeah. everybody <laughs> is it tommy or, or uh, i feel like i've heard people say tommy well it, it's always been like a, an issue growing up because uh like i'm from back east and my parents wanted to call me tommy which is an english name but i'm french canadian so they, they decided because of my last name they wanted to shorten the first name so they call me tommy with one m which doesn't make any uh, difference in French, but then since I moved to the the English world, like everybody's like, "How oh, do you say your name?" So, I, either way, either way, I'm good with like. A, I'm when when people ask you, what do you say? I just say Tommy. Like, uh, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. So where where do you live? I'm on Vancouver Island. Oh, okay. So actually, we're going to be kind of close to each other when I move up in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Planning on uh, Bellingham. You've probably been there, huh? Oh yeah, I was going to the Trader Joe's and. The, Costco, yeah, to get all the cheese and <laughs> the cheese stuff <laughs> over there. When I when I was on the have you been? Line, yeah, uh, have you been to Grizzly HQ when you go down to Bellingham? Have you been to the Grizzly uh, showroom? No, no, I haven't. Been. Okay, cool. So uh, uh, French French Canadian, yep, coming to America for cheese. There's something wrong with that picture. <laughs> aren't we like? Aren't we the laughing stock as far as cheese is concerned in the whole country in the whole like globe? Wait, is this going to be another episode where we talk a lot about cheese? <laughs> did we have Did we have another one of those? Yeah, you were like, cheese oh, yeah, knives, the cheese knives. knives. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, the cheese knife. Yeah. I the will say knife. that like the whole Wisconsin cheddar thing is is real. It's a real thing. Yeah, well, it's so cheap uh, over there. Like even in like it's not just uh, the U.S. It's cheap. Like you go to to France or you go to Europe, cheese is cheaper. Like it's just. In Canada, for some reason, it's really, really expensive. So huh. that's like, that's like wine and beer in Europe. Um, we make up, we make up for it with our healthcare. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Tommy Huffington. Um, for anyone that doesn't know who Tommy Huffington is, Tommy, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? And uh, yeah, tell us about you. Okay. Well, uh, I'm a woodworker uh, for, for starts. Uh, I've been also in uh, the steel trade for about 22 years doing structural and trailers, like big stuff, big trailers. Um, my woodworking comes down from uh, my family. So uh, my grandfather, both my grandfathers were both woodworkers. And one of them I would compare to Paul Sellers. He was kind of uh, like the, the guy that had all the little tricks and stuff, but I was too young to to kind of understand all of that when I was a kid. So uh, 
I, I started my, my journey when I first my, got my first uh, workshop. I was about 22 years old when uh, I bought my first house, 23 years old. It was a tiny shop and kind of started fooling around with pieces of wood and, and started like everybody else with like a, a little piece of furniture here and there. And, and then uh, uh, I wanted to add a bit more dimension. So I, I, when I moved out west here, I ended up making a wood strip kayak, which was fun because like you could actually make something that's nice and then take it outside and, and use it. But then um, I wanted to add more dimension once again. So uh, I went into luthery, which is uh, you have to make something that looks good, that's usable and playable, and it needs to sound good as well. So it was just to try to push the, the woodworking to, uh, I guess, its limits, I guess. Yeah. And those, you make some incredible instruments. Uh, Thank you. And it sounds, I feel like you're my you're my hero because uh, <laughs> that like a uh, uh, cedar strip canoe and a guitar are both on my bucket list and you've done, you know, oh, you've, yeah. taken, you've taken those, you've done that. Um, so that's, that's pretty awesome. So I'm definitely going to pick your brain uh, yep, when, sure. once yep. I jump into one of those projects. Um, but uh, so, sorry, I'm totally taking over the podcast because I'm kind of geeking out that we have Tommy Havington on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So what would you say is a good instrument for a basic, for somebody with a, a pretty basic shop without any specialty luthery um, equipment? Uh, I, I would say if somebody wants to try something, uh, just to see if they're uh, able to, to make something, a ukulele would be a good place to start. Uh, it's very small. It doesn't cost a lot. Um, yeah, you, you can. Like I made one out of a two by four for the two by four challenge. And it's, it still works. Like it, I didn't think it was going to last that long because the wood wasn't dry properly and all that stuff, but no, it's, it's still going. And, yeah. So that Very would be cool. a good place to start. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess, I guess I'll throw it back to James to get our normal routine started. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually I'm going to throw it back to, to Tommy and uh, let's start off with what we are, what we're working on. And since you're the guest, why don't you, uh, why don't you take it off? Well, I, I just finished uh, an H5 Mandola for um, a customer in the States going to Wisconsin. AKA known as the most sexy instrument ever. <laughs> that, that's the Sunburst one, right? Yeah. Well, they all kind of have the, the Sunburst like that. With uh, like the, the wood supplier I use has just got the amazing selection. I can pop the grain like that on pretty much every one of them. But um, so, yeah, that, that instrument was done. And then uh, during shipping, the customer express... Uh, some concern with the packaging so we decided to make a case for it so the the last project i finished was a vintage looking case carrying case for uh the dh5 mandola yeah so what's the difference between a mandola and a mandolin it's it's like in the the violin family like you, you have the violin you have the viola then you have the cello and the okay. bass so the mandolin is it's it's tuned the same to start and then so basically it's a violin that you pluck with a pick and and then you you have four extra strings on but it's the exact same as a violin so if, if like the the mandola would be the second uh brightest instrument in the family okay huh. so it's just a little bit bigger yeah, yeah. a little bit bigger body okay yeah hmm. <clears throat> uh so how do you pop the grain so what's your process of you know finishing uh an instrument and getting the grain to pop as much as you do because that uh, yeah uh the 
I, I use leather dyes, and by huh. use, using leather dyes, you you can. Uh, and I, I made a video on the whole process of that uh, that H5 Mandola on how to pop the grain. But like you, you basically start with the lighter colors, and you make sure you, you don't have any more scratch. I think I sent it to 400, and then uh, you you kind of uh, put the dye on, and then you use denaturalized alcohol to wash all the the high grain. So basically. All the, the quilted or the curly has high and low grain. So when you wash it off, there's still a bit of residue left, but it falls into the, the, the low grain. And mm -hmm. then you can build up your colors like that. So it take, it, it's like, I think I spent three hours putting color on the mandola uh, total from start to finish. So it, it's labor intensive. It's all hand rubbed, but like you get like uh, results that speaks for themselves. Yeah. 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 What, uh, how do you like finish it? What's your, do you do like I French use, polish or? No, on, on that one, I use lacquer. Uh, it's all about like what the customer wants. And, but so, uh, the, the instruments before when I did the octave mandolin, it was a French polish. And then, uh, this one, uh, we went with a lacquer. I think it was a Sherwin William lacquer that I used for, uh, that one. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, all right. Well, Zach. <laughs> yes. What have you been working on? Um, man, so, so much going on. There's always so much going on. It's my, my canned response. Um, well, most, a couple of things, uh, trying to figure out where to start. So a friend of mine, Cliff Dufton, the guy that I did one of the, one of the two people I took the hammer forging course in, uh, Newark a few weeks ago, we decided to get in the striking anvil slash swage block business, um, for any smiths out there, um, you'll know how hard it is to find good swage blocks, which or I think that you go back and forth. I've heard them pronounce they're spelled swage. Some people pronounce it swedge. I don't know. But what they are is they're just big, heavy blocks that have different reliefs and uh, and holes and bolsters and stuff through them so that when you're you know trying to drift holes and stuff, you have something that you can work on top of. Um, and a striking anvil is exactly what it sounds like it's um it's not an anvil a proper anvil but i mean if you if anybody's seen alex Steele, they'll know what a striking anvil is he works almost exclusively on them it's pretty much just a hunk of steel it's usually softer steel like mild steel that you can really like wind up and and swing away with a sledge and just kind of do a lot of brute work on and it does you don't really if you miss, it's not a big deal because you're not messing up a $2,000 anvil. So we've decided essentially to try and combine both of them into one piece. And uh, the swage blocks are really hard to find. Uh, most of the ones that you see out there just have reliefs for spoons and stuff. They don't actually have through holes for drifting and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, I ordered a 2-inch by 8-inch by 14-inch uh, chunk of mild steel, which is like almost 200 bucks just for the steel. And I'm having the bolsters water cut through it. So this is kind of a um, going to be like a prototype. And I'll build a stand for it and and put it through use and see how I like it. And if I do like it, then we're going to probably make a handful of them and, and put them up for sale in the community. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of exciting. That's one of the things I've been working on kind of in the background. Um, and I'm working on a video you can see here. This is – that's actually a piece of – uh, spalted oak that I've just had sitting next to my house for like a year and a half. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's totally rotten and all bug eaten and stuff. 
but I stabilized it and it looks super cool. Like, I can't believe this is just garbage <laughs> wood. It looks better for being worse, you know, like letting it set out and just turn to garbage and then stabilize it. it for our listeners. Yeah. Could you describe it? Did I just do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you just hold it up and say this is a cool thing. But what is that thing? Oh, so this is actually going to be a file handle, and this is uh, Lumalite epoxy. And I kind of cut into it and made those scallops, and then cast it in the resin, and that's where the file's going to go in. So I'm I'm doing a set of five, and I'm gonna I'm trying to do five totally different designs. Although I already screwed one of them up. Man, it's working with epoxy can be super frustrating, as uh, I'm sure. I think you actually probably have a better story, James. <laughs> how much how much money worth of epoxy did you have run out of your table onto the floor? Uh, about three hundred bucks. <laughs> oh man, how did you handle that? A lot of deep breathing. Yeah, I need to start doing that because that's not my first re- reaction when things go wrong. <laughs> uh, went to yeah. my favorite uh, yoga class and relaxed. So. <laughs> I did the the most obviously stupid thing. I think I probably got it on film too. I haven't watched it, but I had this super cool, like I don't even know what kind of wood it is. I should have brought it in to show it to you, but it's, it's like Swiss. It's like the Swiss cheese of wood. I don't know what happened to it, but um, I have it all stabilized. I made the mold for it and I poured, I mixed two parts of part A. I'm sure it looks absolutely <laughs> ridiculous on camera. You probably see me, Open, open one of the gallon containers, pour it in, mix in the dye, set the container down. Five seconds later, grab the same container, pour it in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the problem with that is... It never the, cures. The frustrating thing with epoxy is that you don't really know until it's too late. You know, you don't... And especially since I'm doing, I'm doing it in a pressure pot. So I, you know, I pour it, mix it, yada, da, and then throw it in there you know, pr- bring it up to like 55 pounds, come back an hour and a half later. And I'm like, Oh, nothing has happened. So I tried pouring it out, doing it properly. And it just didn't set. I mean, whatever, you know, it, the ratio is, it wouldn't stick to the block. So it was kind of a throwaway. Uh, mm. So that was my yesterday pretty much is just cause that was three, uh, three times in the pot for an hour and a half. So, you know, it was a good, good chunk of my day, but I'm learning, learning a lot of things. And I've been using the, um, you know that like corrugated plastic PVC stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, so core plastic. Yeah, so something else that I learned. You know, when I'm making the mold, I'm hot gluing the ends up to hold the shape. Well, obviously, those sections, if you glue the ends up, are pressurized, or they're not pressurized. And if you pressurize everything around it, it like distorts. So the <laughs> the last time I had it in there, what happened was. <clears throat> You know, the pressure, it ballooned up or sucked in or something. So it was no longer flat on the bottom. So it <laughs> fell over inside of the pot. And I come back an hour and a half later, open it up, and all the epoxy is cured this time. But it's actually it, <laughs> it's cured to the bottom of my pressure pot. So, so uh, yeah, that was, there was no deep breathing. I think I took <laughs> short breaths. That's when you just, like, shut it all down, yeah. like, go do something else, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, every now and then you just have those days, and it's compounded by the heat here. It's been yeah. really hot. It's I don't know. Yeah, I I, I need new curse words because I'm I'm out. <laughs> you need you need to learn French. There's a lot in French. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they sound good. They do. Yeah. 
what, what's what's a popular one since i think does that does that count for i mean well isn't it like uh pg friendly <laughs> yeah only in english though it is only in english <laughs> oh yeah yes. can you there's got to be one that sounds nice because everything well, sounds nice in french but oh, you can't say tabernac and that that would be one. Yeah, that sounds nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> oh, it's it's all it's all all the curse words are church based. So basically, that would be the hotel where they do like the the whole preparation of the like the ceremony. That's the tabernacle. So that's what it is. Oh, tabernacle, as we would yeah. call it. Yeah. So you can start swearing as well in English, and then you... <laughs> yeah, you can just go out of your shop and say ah tabernacle. tabernacle. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah. That's funny. Well, on that note, Will, what you got going on? Oh man, I got I'm all over the place. Um, so we we the pool is so we put it we're putting in a pool. Um, so the pool part is actually in now, uh, but along with the pool, we're we're building what we're calling the cantina, which will be uh, like a multi-purpose building with it'll have a, a bar and some seating area and then on the inside it has a kitchenette and a bathroom um, and i'm going to build a murphy bed for you know when we have company uh and so i'm just i've been organizing i've been putting my general contractor belt back on and uh been organizing subcontractors plumbers excavators gravel trucks moving gravel getting ready for concrete uh you know block masons uh, so I've been just like full bore pr- working on that. Um, I finally finished that dining table that I've been talking about forever. Um, the pedestal trestle table, dining table out of Walnut. I delivered that to the client and they absolutely loved it. So that was great. Um, I get to do a lot of new stuff in that table that I had never done before, like turning giant pedestals out of, uh, big laminations, um, I did uh, drawboard tenon uh, breadboard ends on the table. I made a dowel plate. Uh, I got to uh, the Stanley, uh, help me out, James, uh, shoulder plane. Uh, Just a bunch of them, 78, 79. 78, yeah, Stanley 78. Uh, and then on Tuesday, uh, Lynn and Matt from Darbin Orver were in my shop, uh, and we were playing around with making tool belts out of leather. And so that was my first time working with leather, and that was a lot of fun. They're moving uh, relatively close to me, so uh, we're going to do some more projects together, start doing some meetups, um, get them. Where, kind of- where are they moving? Um, they're moving to Goochland, Virginia, which is just outside of Richmond, uh, which is about an hour away from me. Hmm. So. They drove across the country and uh, they've been living in hotels and they were like, they're ready to be in a house. So, yeah, um, yeah so that was super fun. They're leaving Oregon. Yeah, we talked about that on the podcast. They were leaving yeah. and, and you wanted to go up there. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been working on. Um, how about you, James? Um, I've actually been working on the table. Surprise, surprise. This is turning into the new dresser. Um, I was hoping to have it done in the month of July, but as things turn out, it probably won't be done until September. <laughs> but uh, it, it's coming along. I've started working on the base, and so now it's upside down on the table. Uh, well, the whole table's upside down. Um, but then uh, Tuesday, I did the live video on how to make pocket holes, the traditional method. And uh, I started a crazy argument going back and forth on uh, on pocket holes. 
Um, and really? These pocket holes are controversial in the well, woodwork? Well, not, not just having pocket holes, because I, I, I kind of covered that. They are a traditional tool working. As long as screws have been around, pocket holes have been around. Um, and they are a really good method for actually holding a skirt onto a tabletop. It's a very functional, very useful joinery method. Um, I, I, I don't hold very well to building an entire um, piece out of them, but it, you know, it's a good way to get started and, and build things. Um, but the, the, the controversial thing is, okay, you're making a T with wood and one piece is butt jointed into the edge of another piece. So do you put the pocket hole through the long grain and into the end grain, or do you put it through the end grain and into the long grain? Um, and Craig Jig um, says you put it through the end grain and into the long grain. Uh, but uh, for uh, for a Craig Jig, I have no problem with that. And most of the time you're gonna be working with like pine where the threads could pull out of the long grain very easily. Um, but when you cut it by hand, not using a Craig Jig, you end up leaving less material on the head side of the board. So when I make it with hardwoods and I make my own pocket holes opposed to using a Craig jig, I go through the long grain and into the end grain. And in doing that in my video, I had this crazy amount of argument going back and forth. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Um, and so now I think this is kicking off a whole new testing series for me of testing pocket holes. <laughs> you should make your own. You should make your own jigs like the Gurk jig. <laughs> Craig backwards. I like it. So actually, that's, jig. that's funny. Before the Craig jig, uh, I worked in a cabinet shop, and uh, the guy that ran the shop used to make his own pocket holes with a spade bit and a cordless drill um, for like attaching. Uh, what would he attach? Anything you'd have to attach, you know. Any, um, but he would take the spade bit and he would start upright and he would start going down then he would just lean the drill down and the spade yeah. bit would make that same so i'm wondering if you could do that with almost like a like a, a bit and brace or yeah. well the the traditional method is actually with a, a bit very similar to that except for rather than it being a spade bit it's actually more like a countersink um, for a tapered head of a flat screw um, and then on the very tip of it rather than just being a point it actually has a lead screw like an auger bit and that way you can just start the tip of it in and very easily tip it and it doesn't it doesn't pop out for, it doesn't uh, pop out when you lean it down to a steep angle um, and so yes there are you know hundred year old bits you can buy that are designed to do that with a brace and bit um, I, I've tried doing it with the with a Craig Drig bit but the tip kind of bounces around and it's really hard to make that that steep angle without it you know popping out of the hole um, mm. a spade bit might work a little bit better because it's a little bit more of a, a tip but uh, I don't know Cool. I, I like the I like the effort of chopping it out with a chisel. I find that to be fun and enjoyable. And plus, I like the look of the square slot as opposed to the round slot. Everyone looks at that like, "Ooh, how'd you do?" <laughs> cool. Well, since we have Tommy on, uh, I think we should throw it back to Tommy. Yeah. Um, and uh, do we have any uh, listener questions on the docket? Uh, let's I know what I, I forgot. For Tommy directly, which I was kind of surprised. I expected to have several come in, but uh, I forgot I, to open up my live chat. Uh, then you'll you'll see why we were laughing when you're holding up your file handle then <laughs> maybe if i can find this thing before the end of the podcast well i do That's have a question funny. for you tommy yeah uh, you, in a lot of your videos you've talked about <laughs> that you you do a lot of luthier working but you'd like to do more general woodworking um you know if you could pick your next project and the most fun you could possibly think about having, what would you want to make? 
Uh, it, it's a tough one because I like to to break it up. Um, I like to build instruments, but like like if you go back to your dresser, you 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 wanted to kind of break up the pace of building that long process. So mm -hmm. uh, what I like about building instruments, it's so many steps that you need to be uh, careful about to end up with a product that's uh, viable and playable and sound good. But at the same time, you need to kind of break it up a bit and uh, like just do like a, I made a play button just for my 10,000 and I made a spoon just like just to kind of break break my brain out of the like the yeah. the seriousness it was in or the so uh if i had to pick a project it would obviously be another instrument which i'm working on a set of drawings right now i want to try to make a mando cello which is like pretty big and then uh but as for just a project um i uh, maybe like a picture frame or like whatever whatever is uh needed or available I, i'll usually put on my workbench and work on yeah I find that definitely, uh, you know, like when I was working on the dining table that was taking me forever and I was kind of hemming and hawing on the next step um, and getting really kind of downtrodden uh, was to just, like you said, like just break that cycle and go do something easy and fun and simple and almost silly. Like, you know, like I don't really need this, but I'm going to make it because I want to. Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, but it, it's more for your, your sanity. Like it, it's a, a day project and then you feel you've accomplished something and then you move on from there. Yeah. I feel like that's like turning for me. Like when I need to like meditate in the shop is I'll throw, you know, a bowl blank on the lathe and just make shavings. And it's just really therapeutic for me. Um, but uh, so you mentioned Amanda Cello and I, I've got a, <laughs> friend uh here in virginia um that has offered to you know let me kind of take a tour of his shop um and he is just, he's just a furniture uh, i'm sorry an instrument maker he's a luthier okay. um damon instruments have you heard of ralph damon no nope. no okay um but he kind of specializes in mandocellos so oh, okay. i was gonna yeah um but we we do have a question for you from make brooklyn um are mandolins more difficult than say an acoustic guitar well, uh, a mandolin has the arch top, so that increased the uh, difficulty level, I would say, because you have to get into carving. Uh, like just a, a flat top guitar, for example, would be uh, the, the hardest spot part would be on the backside where you have to put all your bracing. So if, if you're new to it, uh, I would assume that you, it's easier to start with like a guitar that's got a flat top instead of uh, going with like the full carving front and back of a mandolin but then again there is uh, some mandolins that you can do with a uh, flat top also so that would be a good place to start so that man that mandola that you just made for that client it had that kind of curled horn almost on the on the top yeah this the scroll yeah the scroll yeah uh tell us how like i can't even wrap my head around that um like how do you <laughs> like how do, how do you do that like what's the pro what's the, the process of tooling something like that well, you, you, you make your layout, so it's like pretty much any type of carving. Like you, 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 you get your baseline where you, like for me, the plate was going to be 316 sticks, so I couldn't go any lower than that. And then like you, you get your height, finish height that you want, which is going to be the peak of the scroll. And then you trace down your, your line and, and you just carve it out. And then there's a lot of sanding involved, scrapers. And, but it's, it's all about taking your time. Like when, when usually I do a scroll, I'm going to come in the shop and that's pretty much all I'm going to do that day. And then I'm going to walk out of it. Just 
because I don't want to ruin the second one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll do the second one the day after, but yeah. So yeah. is that a solid? The, the, the actual instrument of the body is hollow, but that scroll, I guess, is that a solid? It, it's, it is hollow underneath. There's the curve lining that goes all the way to that point, but the, at the same time, the neck block goes in the scroll to hold everything together. Um, and there's the gluing surface as well underneath the, the peak of the scroll that's underneath. Uh, but everything else is pretty much hollow. That, that adds a bit of stiffness to the, the body. So if you compare, let's say, a, a, a tear-shaped mandolin and a scroll, like an F5 mandolin, like same size, but one has the scroll and the peak, uh, the points, and the other one just has the tear shape, uh, it's going to be a brighter sound on the F5 just because it has more wood and a bit more stiffness. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm like I'm getting scared of instrument building just by the way you talk about it. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready to do it. Then like they got Tommy on, and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I want to do one of these days is actually like build a guitar, but build it really quickly, cheaply, and badly. Yeah, just to kind of break myself into it. It's like. You know, how bad does a bad guitar actually sound? Bad. It's not necessarily <laughs> how bad they sound. I mean, it's yeah. how bad they play in yeah, intonation. Yeah, yeah. Like if if, yeah. if you can't tune it. Yeah. But I'm saying like if I built a guitar in two days, um, you know, how bad would it be? Uh, how, how bad of a job would I do on it? So, it uh, depends, I think it depends on the neck. I mean, that would be my biggest fear is do you do your own necks or fingerboards and stuff? Yeah, I do everything. Uh, what's hard with the necks is that like the customer is going to tell you, I, I want this, and I like I want I want it to look like whatever instruments that they're used to. So like you're going to have like a bunch of like brands and numbers like that relates to an instrument that they own, mm -hmm. and then it's to try to put that into the neck when you don't personally have the instruments. So like yeah. I I would have to go to a music store and try all of them, and and and. So it, it makes it really, really hard. And it's all about playability for the yeah. customer and the sound, obviously. But for me, when I make an instrument, my focus is always on the sound and then playability and then how it looks. That's how I put my, uh, like, so, like, I, I, I don't want an instrument that looks good that doesn't play well. I want it the other way around. And even if there's, like, little nicks or no, not nicks, but, like, little defects or, like, it's handmade, right? So there's it's not going to be 100% perfect, but... So I, I, I'm, that's how I list my, my steps. Too. Yeah. I think getting like getting the frets right would be the toughest, like the most intimidating part because they all have to be exact. Otherwise your intonation would be all messed up and that, mm -hmm. you know, changes depending on the scale length. I think, you know, Gibson has a different yep. scale length and Fend everybody has their own scale length. Yeah. So there make Brooklyn has a question, um, kind of jumping off that Zach, um, do you measure each fret from the nut or from the previous fret? From the nut. From the uh, nut. If, if you go from another fret, you, if you kind of screwed up like a, a thousand there, and then you can't, it kind of builds up from there, right? So mm -hmm. if you always go from the nut and then you, you mark your measurements from there, if you, you, you miss one like by a thousand, it's only that one that's going to be uh, off by a bit. Okay. Yeah. The thing that I think is strange about like guitar building, it's like, or not, I guess I can't speak of that, but like custom guitars is that people are so, at least I, you know, for myself, like I'm so conditioned to seeing Stratocasters and Telecasters and Les Pauls. And it's so hard, I feel like, to build something unique 
style wise or like body shape wise and have it look good just because you're so conditioned to seeing these like iconic shapes and yeah. if anything is like slightly different it looks wrong yeah you know it's just yeah. one of the things that i've noticed there's because there's some amazing like custom guitars out there but they're not like those iconic guitar shapes and you see them and you're like oh that's weird looking <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. prs did a pretty good job at it though like yeah uh, they, they uh yeah like they they kind of mixed the the gibson and the fender into one model Mm-hmm. And it's got a very nice line of guitars. Like I, mean, I used to work at a music shop, and I never, never could get into the PRSs. No. I mean, they're 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 very well made, but I just feel like they're feel like they're soulless. <laughs> 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 I don't know. It's an old statement. I'm going to get some hate mail, but no. Uh, I mean, that's like the difference between playing, you know, a Strat and a Tele is like, you know, so far apart. Now that we're getting into electric instruments and not as much the acoustic, you know beautiful Tommy's work. Um, but, you know, the difference of playing a Strat versus a Tele sounds completely different. And then, you know, you jump on a Les Paul and it's just like this, like, you know, super, you know, the humbuckers feedback, just like, you know, completely different sound. Um, but I feel like that's more in the, in the, in the pickups than, than the guitar body itself. It's but. a combination. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a Fender guy. Well, Fender, I mean, I have, I probably have like 10 guitars. I have mostly, I have Strats, Tellys, Les Pauls. I have a Firebird. And then I have a whole bunch of Gretches. I went through a Gretch phase back when I played in a Rockabilly band. I could see that. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> I'm stuff. Well, looking at the, the tools, Tommy, what do you have uh, a, a favorite or a specialized tool for instrument building that you use? Uh, well, there's a, a lot of tools that you have to make yourself when you get into Luthery. Uh, one of the specialized tools that I, well, the last one I made was uh, to uh, put the edge angle on the frets uh, to have something constant and instead of trying to hold the file to file the, mm. the frets on the outside, uh, I, do, I, I made like a little kind of jig that holds the file and then slides onto the fretboard. So that, that's one of the, the tools. And then uh, obviously like uh, uh, the, the coping saws and like there's, there's a lot of hand tools involved. But uh, like you, you just need to 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 be creative with your your tools and and kind of uh, and find find ways to to make things work. Is a drum sander necessary for making the tops of acoustic guitars? I used to do them by hand, so card scrapers, like they would have been done back in the day. Card scrapers, sandpaper, and stuff. Uh, it takes forever. Uh, although it, it 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 it's fun because like I, I had a, a set of. Uh, uh, myrtle wood that I, I I started guitar with, and the smell was just amazing. But I did get a drum sander, and that's my uh, tool of uh, the week uh, for like the <laughs> later. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, no, I did got, get one, and and it's just like it makes a day worth of work in twenty minutes. So then I can move on to the next step. Yeah. So what's what's your um, your top thickness in say an acoustic guitar? Uh, about a hundred thousand i guess jeez yeah about about there and then like the the thing is like you you want the 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 piece of wood to vibrate and that's why there's braces on the inside to hold the stiffness of the plate so the more wood you you remove like your your braces are going to be there to to pick up the difference and then when you tune your back plate that's when you you can remove the stiffness from the brace to maximize the vibration okay So so I, I have one for you. <laughs> Assuming that you play guitar, 
least enough. Li- a little. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I went in the instrument building on the woodworking side. I, I had a, I learned guitar when I was like maybe like by myself because I, I come from a family we didn't have a lot of money to to have a spare activities. So like sitting at home with tablatures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had an electric guitar growing up, but I had to sell it to get my driver's license. So like there's a big stretch that I didn't play at all. That sounds like a Hollywood movie waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. What's what's Ralph Macchio doing these days? <laughs> get him and Steve Vai together one more time. Um, well, my question is, when it comes to acoustic guitars, you a Martin guy? <sighs> this is a polarizing question. Yeah, well, Martin has, has their reputation. Uh, I like a good sounding guitar. Um uh, Anything that's mass produced will have kind of the lemon in the line. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that uh, Martin has them or any other brand has them. Like it's just like if I pick up a guitar and I don't hear what I want to hear, I, I don't really go for that guitar. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a friend of mine had uh, like I've never owned a Martin. Uh, a friend of mine had one and it was a beautiful sounding guitar. He used it for recordings and stuff. So. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, what's your favorite acoustic guitar? Uh, I'd have to say Martin. I, I used to work at like a high end music store, and when I started, I was like, man, you know, I got like the the whole Taylor bug. I was like, Taylors are the best. And uh, <laughs> then I evolved, and I'm like, yeah, Martin's Martin's my favorite. There's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I've got, I've got a Seagull, which uh, Seagulls are great for yeah. I mean, for the money. They're really hard to beat. It's one of my favorite, like, it's one of my favorite guitars um, that, you know, and I've got two, three, four, five acoustics, four, four acoustics. Yeah. Um, huh. So it's one of my favorites to play. But uh, uh, Tommy, I got I have a question for you. I'm going to put, put you on the spot. So Rockbridge Guitars, um, they're based here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and their claim to fame is that Dave Matthews plays one of their guitars. Um, but they're, so I know a guy that works at that shop. Um, their tops are three thirty seconds of an inch. Too thick? Too thin? Three thirty seconds. That's that's about a hundred, isn't it? Three one sixteenth. What's this thick? Is sixty two zero sixty two. So that's yeah. That's about that's about like what what it would be like ninety ninety something. That's about uh, the same thickness. Okay. All right. Cool. I think so. Yeah. All right. Make Brooklyn says that uh, you said that PRS is like the Lexus of guitars. <laughs> they are nice guitars they are uh cool well um due to time this week i think we're going to skip the photo challenge and we'll move that on to next week so if you haven't gotten in your photo which is about contrast um go ahead and put that in we don't have too many entries for this, this one, is like so. the longest running photo yeah, challenge. No, this will be an entire month on this one so it's a, it's a good chance but we don't have that many entries so um true. if you haven't gotten in a photo for contrast uh go ahead and do so yeah usually it's a fortnightly uh, contest. Yes. Go <laughs> um, on to Instagram.com and uh, put up a picture from your shop with contrast in it and tag it with hashtag creators photo challenge and we will uh, judge them next week. Hopefully. <laughs> Where did, my, uh, did we? Did, oh, we cut that right out of the show notes, didn't we? Yeah. Was, um, oh, okay. So this week we have a joke of the week that I think was very fitting. So I threw, decided to throw that one in there. Um, this is from Matt Thayer asks, uh, what is the most musical tool in the shop? It is the bandsaw. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Very, uh, very pleased with that one. <laughs> it's one of our better 
contributions, I think. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get into what's inspiring us and what we're watching or reading. Uh, Will, why don't you kick it off? Uh, so uh, I've been getting re- back into uh, stand-up comedy, stand-up comedians. Um, so I've been watching uh, Something's Burning, which is uh, Bert Kreischer. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. You might know him from I Am The Machine. Um, very funny dude. And he has people in the kit. He has other comedians come in in the kitchen and they, they cook, they cook things. Um, and it's just, it's pretty funny. Um, but go in the background while on my shop. Cool. Yeah. How about you, James? Um, well, I actually, I, I was watching some of the primitive technology videos and there was another one suggested on the side that I thought was one of his. Um, it's actually from a channel called primitive survival tool. Um, and I really want to know the background on this channel. And it is two, I'm guessing, brothers um, that are there in like like culottes. Um, and, and they're building houses. And they're, I'm guessing, somewhere in Africa. Um, but they're building these you know, basic houses with just their hands, um, digging in the ground with sticks. And it was just incredible. I mean, if you think that I'm crazy in the amount of hand work that I put into things, uh, you got to watch these. They dug an entire pool with sticks. And I'm not talking like, you know, a, a kiddie pool. I'm talking like a swim around and a, 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 a it's a, actually like a river that goes around the house. Um, <laughs> and they built it with sticks. They filled it with buckets of water. Um, I was absolutely blown away by it but it's definitely sound like the best survival strategy though (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know what what the name of survival tool um but uh, yeah um so it's definitely if if you're ever in the mood to go binge watch something that completely runs away with your your imagination that is definitely worth it primitive survival tool so yeah what you got tommy i've been watching uh pure living for life so it's a couple uh, that uh, decided, I think they moved to Oregon, or is it Montana? I'm not sure. But they decided to uh, like start their life there and they're building their whole life from scratch. So right now they're building uh, their house and uh, they did uh, timber frame construction and they're lifting the walls right now, which is, uh, they, they went with a SIP construction. And uh, I've never actually, I heard of SIP building, but I've never seen it in a, any aspect of how it was made. So I find it very interesting to see how they're doing it. And uh, the last video I watched, they were actually raising uh, with the crane, the, the roof sips, and then there was a thunderstorm and lightning. So it made it uh, very interesting. <laughs> a good, good channel to watch. Very cool. I'm going to check that out. That's the list. What you got, Zach? Um, I chose a guy that I found recently on Instagram. His name is... Well, his tag is damn if I know D A M I F I N K N. Well, <laughs> damn is spelled D A M. Yeah, uh, he uh, he does a lot of sculptural work, and his aesthetic is just—it's like everything that it—it it has all of the elements that I really like. It's very kind of like abstract, brutalist, um, industrial. It's just very very cool. It's with like, a little bit of Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, it's very like kind of rectilinear, but it has a little bit. It has enough like it, I don't know. You just have to look at it. Very very cool stuff. Um, yeah, so that really impressed me. Something else is funny in the live chat. Somebody asked if you are happen to be related to Sean Stone, and I've actually in the back of my head, I'm like, man, 
guy looks a lot like Sean Stone. Like <laughs> I saw your profile <laughs> picture. I have you guys both on the show sometime just to confuse everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. Um, then let's uh, jump into our favorite tool of the week. Uh, what you got, Tommy? Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, it's my 17-inch uh, uh, CWI drum sander. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't used it in a little while, but it is like my go-to tool when I have to thickness. And so uh, it was a big investment, but it's totally worth it when I need to. So is that, um, is that open-ended or, or not? No, no, it's not open-ended. The okay. thing with open-ended, uh, they, they, they might tend to open up when there's too much pressure. So they, mm -hmm. they might open on one side, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. So I went like 17-inch is going to be enough to do my lutery work, and that's why I went with that one. Huh. Yeah. Very, very cool. cool. James, what's your tool of the week? I'm going to have to go with one that I've mentioned in the past, and I will mention again many times over because it is my all-time favorite tool of all time, and that is the half-inch chisel. Um, I, I don't know why, but it just it's an enjoyable tool, and it's kind of like the basic of everything else. I mean, you, you could do pretty much everything needed in woodworking with just a chisel. I mean, it would take longer, and it would be um, kind of painful in some places, but uh, it would be an absolute joy to me. And so I, I'm, I keep thinking I got to do more builds where I, all I do is use a chisel because it's just, it's that much more fun. Yeah. Didn't you do a project that you built something entirely with a chisel? You yeah. Built I built a, a box. Out, out of firewood, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember that one. All right. Do something more ambitious. Yeah. Build a guitar with that's just not, a chisel. That's not painful <laughs> yes. enough. That's not masochistic enough. He need, needs to make a pool with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, a good sharp chisel uh, you know even a, a medium quality sharp chisel it's just it's it's a fun thing and uh, once you learn how to use it it's it's an eye-opener in many many cases at least for me <laughs> huh. maybe i'll have to forge you a half inch chisel one of these days yeah 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 that'd be cool it'll it'll maybe be a medium quality chisel <laughs> the best <laughs> What uh, do you know much about the steels they use for that? Like, do is ten ninety five? Is that a? Um, it there is such a wide range of steels uh, because everyone has a different preference of what they like. Um, I actually like mine to be a little softer. Um, I would rather than be faster to sharpen and faster to dull, um, just because of the way I like to woodwork. Some people like them absolutely you know, rock hard. You probably have, they're probably mostly alloys nowadays, huh? I yeah. If old... um, like you, if you get them, for, you you. The most common ones are um, the same as your irons, A1, uh, A2, O1, and uh, PMV11. Huh, okay. Um, those are the, the three big You know what? Maybe, what? maybe what would be cool, because I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, uh, but I don't think it would be too hard to, to actually forge one of those. Um, I, should do, oh. I should do one out of like, I bet 5160 would be decent for a chisel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 5160 i should do like a 1095 and uh and you know maybe someday i'll do those and send them to you and you can you can test them out and see which one you like better that'd be fun because i wouldn't be able to tell a difference <laughs> and that's the thing i tell most people is when they when they get into chisels and people ask me what's the best chisel for a starter it really doesn't make a difference i mean honestly in the, in the quality of the steel if you go to harbor freight and buy their cheap wooden handles you will not notice a difference between those and, uh, and and like Lee Valley or um, um, you, you won't notice a difference until you've used them for a few years and you can actually feel what does the the dull chisel feel like when it's halfway dull. Um, 
Yeah. Honestly, the steel is not going to make a bit of difference until you have used them for a long time and you know what they feel like. That's why I would send them to you because I could make, <clears throat> I could probably make one out of cardboard and I wouldn't. <laughs> well, well, that's funny. I had a guy in the shop uh, just stop by to have me. Uh, he wanted to get a, a dent out of a piece of wood for him, and he's like, "Oh, what are you just playing?" I was like, oh, "I'll just grab my hand plane real quick." Um, and I just took my my plane iron out, and he was talking about how he wanted to get wearing the hand planes. And I took my plane iron out and just touched it up on the stone, then a strop, maybe twenty seconds, and then put it back in, and it was like you know razor sharp. And you should have seen the his eyes like popped out of his head. At, <laughs> He's like, that's like, that's sharp. That's really sharp. That's it. That's all you do. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, keep them sharp. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> what, what you got, Zach? What you like? What What are we doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, I'm, I'm going to go with my isotunes. So uh, they do sponsor me. I'll tell you guys that. And they just re-upped their, their contract with me. <laughs> so um, Zach Herbert is totally yes. transparent. Yes, absolutely. No, but I, I actually reached out to them because um, I saw it was at Fabtech last year. April Wilkerson had them. I'm like, those are sweet. Those are awesome. Um, I'd been using like the gigantic 80s running 3M Bluetooth headphones. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've been using those and I want something that I can keep around my neck because I'm lazy. So if I'm at one corner of the shop, like using something loud and my headphones are on the other corner of the shop, I'll just suffer through it, but with the little, they're like magnetic, so I can just keep them around my neck. So, um, but yeah, so that's, that's my tool for the week. And they just started something. If anybody's interested in checking them out, I think it's like 10 bucks off if you use the code CHF. So Sweet. on the isotunes.com probably is their website. I don't even know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Cool. I like their cheap ones too. They have two, they have two models. I like their, the cheap ones, battery life don't don't last long enough for me. They last, I think they last four hours. Um, yeah, so that doesn't last. Four hours. But they're coming out. I don't have them yet, but there's they're they're like I'm prototyping a new model for them. That's pretty much the base model, but with like twice the battery life. Okay. I don't know when those are coming out. They might even be available now. I don't know, but I don't know. I have both the pro and the basic ones, and I just don't like the things. I don't like the hard plastic things that wrap around my ear. I want to be able to like put them in and take them out in like three seconds. So that's why I like the the cheap ones, and they're cheaper. Cool. Cool. So what that, about you, Will? What's your favorite? Uh, <clears throat> what's my favorite tool of the week? Yeah. Um, my Swanson Speed Square. I'm doing a lot of a lot of framing right now, so that, <laughs> yes. that thing is like you can't live if you've ever done any kind of framing or or you know carpentry. Uh, you know the rough angles and whatnot. Yeah, you know the value of a good speed square, and they're cheap. Don't get the plastic ones. No, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do no. it. Get the metal get swans. The aluminum ones. Get the no, they're steel, aren't they? Yeah, mine's aluminum. Is I it don't like the aluminum ones? No, you gotta, get, the, you gotta get, get the. Get one that's made out of metal. <laughs> get the original. <laughs> yeah, just don't get don't get the blue plastic ones. <laughs> yes. Well, I have to say we have wasted another hour of your life, and we are thankful that you have been here to do so. I do want to say a huge thank you to uh, Tommy Huffington for coming on here, and uh, we might have to have you on again in the future. So, oh, Thank you for having yeah, me. Thanks for, thanks for being on. That was awesome. Thank we we got to talk more instruments in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say a huge thank you to our patrons on Patreon, and uh, you guys oh. have really been what makes this channel happen. Particularly, I want to say a huge thank you to Darren Mates, Caleb Harris of You Can Make This Too, and John from John Made It. 
Uh, thank you for your support, if, and we'll help out with more in the future. And if anybody wants to order a nice, fancy, custom instrument from Tommy, where would they find that at? Uh, you can check on my website at uh, www.ovingtoninstruments.com. All right. Thanks. Sweetness. Well, that about does it for this week. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Later. Adios. Bye. Thanks again for listening to The Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.